Hi, I'm the producer of A Public Affair, Jade Isiri Ramos. If you enjoy the show, I hope you'll consider supporting the station. We take donations all year long at wortfm.org. Thanks. Six foot six above sea level. I grab my mic because I like to take it to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never. Good afternoon and welcome to a public affair. I am Jada Siri Ramos and I'm your host for this hour, filling in for Ali Muldrow. A few weeks ago, I was driving my spouse's car and I heard a noise. That sort of noise that you know is going to be expensive and you don't really want to deal with it and you're sorry that you heard it in the first place and uh called to my dad a trip to the mechanic and 800 dollars later the car is fixed and, and up and running again and while the problem was solved parts were replaced i didn't necessarily feel empowered by the experience which is why i'm really excited to talk to my guest today Kaya Milstein is an automotive educator, freelance writer, and empowerment speaker. She's the creator of Mechanic Shop Femme, which offers free and sliding scale comprehensive automotive education for the average consumer. Her life's mission is to educate women and queer people about their cars, and her forthcoming book is Mechanic Shop Femme's Guide to Car Ownership, Uncomplicating Cars for All of Us. Kaya, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Um, listeners, if you're listening and have a story about your car or you have a question about your car, give us a call at 608-256-2001. Kaya, can you just give um, a background on what is Mechanic Shop Femme and what was your path to um, create this uh, sort of uh, all-encompassing brand around yourself? I like to call Mechanic Shop Femme kind of like an octopus, like I do yeah. a lot of different things, um, but it's all centered, you know, in this space. I started Mechanic Shop Femme, it's going to be like seven years in June uh, ago, because I wanted to help the average car owner better understand their vehicle, better understand the process on how to buy a car, maintain it, sell it, find a mechanic, insure it, and you know, so much more. And I had done it after spending years in the automotive repair industry, talking to people about their vehicles and what's going on and hearing their experiences from other shops that they had went to. And I really wanted to create a space and a platform where I can educate folks on the basics, the things that help, you know, this very simple and supposedly, you know, uncomplicated part of their lives be easier um, and truly uncomplicated in the long run. Yeah, so you're you're not a mechanic. What is your what was your path to working with cars? So I started in the automotive industry when I was 18 years old as a service advisor. And since then, in the last decade, I have managed mechanic shops, worked in collision, uh, wrote half a car encyclopedia for a, an insurance company. Um, and really, what I like to say is I'm a, an interpreter. I'm mm. here to help make automotive education, automotive knowledge, automotive experience accessible to the average person in a way that doesn't patronize, in a way that helps you gain those lifelong skills and knowledge to be a better steward of your car so your car lasts longer so you can get to work when you need to. And so the next car you buy and spend your whole savings on is actually worth spending that money on. Right, right. Um, I wonder if you have experienced like when you're when you're working with people one-on-one -on -one, do you feel like walls coming down like oh this is someone who I can talk to who isn't talking down to me um, is that something that you've experienced I know you can only experience what you experience and not what someone else does but definitely I think one of my favorite parts of my work is that sort of light bulb moment where I'm talking to somebody or I'm sharing a video or educating in some way and a topic that's always been not very clear, not very understood, it's sort of murky, becomes clear and easy to grasp. And like, oh, wow, that's what it was. Um, so it's that light bulb moment. You kind of hear English teachers and math teachers and people talking about that. And that's definitely my favorite part of the experience when I'm on a consulting call with somebody who's looking to buy a car and I can ask them a few questions and really narrow down their list, especially folks like me who are analytical who are like, oh my God, Kaya, there's like so many cars out in the universe and they all have one problem or another and they all have benefits and drawbacks. 
how do I even narrow this down? And, and you know, that moment when people are like, oh, that makes sense. Now I have three cars to choose from. Or when somebody comes back from their mechanic and their mechanic told them they need a new engine and they're like, I cannot trace back to why this happened. Like, what Mm. was the moment that this all went downhill? Because the mechanic just told them, oh, your car needs a new engine. You might as well get a new car. Have a good day without any further explanation. And just explains them, oh, remember that time three weeks ago that you drove your car while it was overheating? You caused the engine damage. And you'll never do it again now because you know what was the, you know, with the root of it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's huge. I I can I can see how that taking the time to to walk someone through it um, can change their relationship to their car and and how they they interact with cars in the future. Um, you do a lot of your work through social media. Do you? Um, I guess what was the path? Was that part of the like? Okay, I'm starting this blog. I'm also starting all these different social media accounts that that support the blog. You know, I think I have to take you way back. Yeah, yeah, take me way back to when I started working in the automotive industry because this was not like a natural fit. This wasn't just something I woke up one day and said, "Oh, I love cars. Let me work in this car space." And you know, I still say to this day, I like people. I like customers. I'm not a car enthusiast in the traditional sense of the word. So I was 18. I was aging out of the foster care system here in Milwaukee. I was desperately looking for a job. I'd had experience interning for Fair Wisconsin, getting trained by the Democratic National, uh, by the uh, Wisconsin Democratic Party, by the Victory Fund, and, you know, super involved in, you know, nonprofit, quote unquote, activism, political spaces. And that wasn't a natural way to get into a job. Uh, Democratic politics doesn't pay very much. Um, In fact, it pays nothing most of the time, especially when you're 18. Um, And I needed a job and I couldn't continue on that path. So I, after looking and trying to interview, it's 2013, I just couldn't get even an interview in most spaces. I said, you know what, I'm going to have to start a GoFundMe. And I sat down in the UWM union and I just like poured my heart out into this, what I like to call my first essay, <laughs> uh, my first personal essay. And I, you know, poured my heart out and told people my story and shared what my experience was. And somebody saw the GoFundMe and sent it to their daughter. And that person, Faith Kohler, she was able to get me an interview at Sears department store. Mm. And that interview started you know, this entire process, this interview led to Mechanic Shop Them as it is today. So she got me the interview. I started working in the auto center. I didn't have a driver's license. I had to get a driver's license for the job. I used to say, I don't know the difference between a bumper and an oil change when I started. (laughs) And boy, I had nightmares at the beginning of tires falling on top of me and like, you know, putting the wrong tires on cars and so many different things. And after working in the industry in Milwaukee and then in New York um, for a while, I just saw the huge gaps and I saw the way that people were treated. And I wanted to do something more, but I was definitely not sure of what that more was. I'm a Capricorn, I'm a workaholic, and I picked up all kinds of different random jobs in addition to my jobs in the repair shops that I worked in. I did data entry and stuff for a podiatrist. I ran a queer car service, underground car service. I uh, sold barrecas at a stand at Union Square and some other farmers markets, just all kinds of random stuff. And eventually I got on the phone with a coach and I said, I need to know what else to do. I need Mm. to know I'm reaching the point in my career where the only way up involves no longer working with customers and no longer doing the part of the job that brings me joy. And now I'm just in corporate America. And she said, Kaya, you should start a blog. And I was like, that is a terrible idea. But you know what? I'm the type of person I'm willing to try and see what happens. So I wrote a few blog posts. People really liked them. Yeah. People were really interested and they were learning. And I was like, okay, great. I've shared some stuff. This is awesome. I need to see the vision. I need to see where this is going. And I posted in a Facebook group on uh, for women entrepreneurs or business owners. And I said, I have this blog of teaching people about cars. Here's my experience. What else should I do? And of course, the comments were 
flooded with, you should teach a class. And this is before like every influencer and every expert had a class. This was almost seven years ago at this point. And I said, you know what? That's a terrible idea. <laughs> I don't want to teach people how to fix their car because cars are getting more complicated. Yeah. Uh, and most people don't want to fix their own car. They don't have the capacity. They don't have the time. They don't have the tools. The investment they'd have to make into that isn't practical or realistic. So I thought and thought and thought and thought and thought. And then a friend um, had a car that broke down and they needed to buy a new car. They started sending me Craigslist listing and saying, hey, Kaya, could you help with this? What do you think about this? And we went back and forth. And at the end of that, they ended up with a really great car. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's the class. So my first class, how the heck do I buy a used car, um, which is now the first two chapters in my book, Mechanic Shop Times Guide to Car Ownership. I wrote it in a little PS in a Facebook post. I, I shared a Facebook post with a blog post about oil changes. And at the end of the caption, I wrote PS, I'm thinking about teaching a class that how to sell used, how to buy a used car. Or if you're interested, send me a message. And people messaged me. And within a couple of days, like maybe 72 hours, my non-existent class that was just an idea was sold out. Wow. Now I had to build a class. So that's kind of how it got started. And it's been a joy and an honor. And it's been one heck of an experience. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's so many places I can go with this. But let me just remind listeners, if you're just tuning in, uh, my guest today is Kaya Milstein, who is the person behind Mechanic Shop Femme and is an, a comprehensive automotive educator and has a forthcoming book coming out, Mechanic Shop Femme's Guide to Car Ownership, Uncomplicating Cars for All of Us. Um, if you would like to join the conversation, Kaya is happy to answer questions about buying a car, um, some of the the things that you need to know as a car owner. Um, Kaya, we wanted to give a little preamble of car car questions coming in um so you want to help me explain what you can answer and what you can't answer <laughs> sure so my book covers things um ranging from how to buy a car to how to find a mechanic to how to insure your vehicle what the different elements of car insurance are uh, i talk about how to find a mechanic how to interview a shop how to uh how to say no at a repair shop that's a big one um i also have a section on mechanic shop etiquette because as much as we want shops to serve our needs and to uh, treat us in a respectful and non-patronizing way, we also have to do the same. Uh, and a lot of car owners come into repair shops with pre-existing notions of what these shops are going to be like, uh, especially the every mechanic is a scammer uh, situation. So I talk about that. I talk about emergency kits, your owner's manual, and the value of your owner's manual and everything you're going to find in there. I talk about defensive driving. I talk about extended warranties, uh, how to sell your car, uh, electric cars and hybrids, uh, and so much more. I'm not here to tell you how to disassemble your car or put it back together. I'm not here to talk about horsepower of your engine, uh, things that regular car owners, <laughs> regular people, moms and teens and adults and folks that are going to work and coming home and has a have a busy life would be interested in in order to keep this very expensive piece of equipment on the road in the best way possible for the longest time. All right. So if you have questions about those things or want to give your your story of the time that you didn't know anything about cars and this is what happened to you, give us a call. 608-256-2001. We have Sholly and John and Rick uh, ready to help answer your, your call. Okay. So you, we, we your first car or your first uh class was buying a car so what are if someone's looking to buy a car and they come to you and they say kaya i don't know i don't know what i'm looking for necessarily i know i need a car i know i need something that's going to last me um what do you what do you tell them how do you how do you help them narrow it down from just like a broad i need a car um <laughs> now what sounds good like here's the thing even when you said, I need a car and I don't know what I need, you started listing things you need. You mm. need the car to last you a long time, right? 
Um, there is in your head somewhere, there is things that you want out of your car and there's things that you need out of your car. For example, if you live in a large city, you might want a car that is short and compact so it's easy to park. If you live in Wisconsin, you might want a car with all-wheel drive yeah. so that you can get through the snow. If you have a lot of children, you might need a lot of space for their extracurricular activities. Maybe you are a cup carpenter and you have a lot of tools that you carry around in your vehicle. So you're going to want to think about what do you need out of the car and what do you want out of the car and create a list of those things. And these things are going to include the size of the vehicle, the amenities in the vehicle, uh, or anything else in specific. So let me give you an example. Back when I was shopping for my well, it was my second car. Um, for my second car, some of the things on my list were I wanted leather seats in the car because I ate in my car every single day. <laughs> yeah. uh, our repair shops don't often have brake places and you figure out where to eat. And I would eat in my car every single day. Second, I wanted all-wheel drive because I wanted all-wheel drive. Three, I needed a car that was within my budget, which was mm. not very expensive um, and in order for that car to fit in my budget I needed a car that was a sedan and not an SUV so I needed all-wheel drive I wanted a sedan that was within my budget and I wanted leather seats and of course like most people I wanted the car to be reliable to last me a long time now at that time there was only one car that fit those requirements mm. and that was the Subaru Impreza there were no other sedans that had all-wheel drive that were available at my price point. Right. Now, today there are several cars, not too many. There's the Prius, but that one is very expensive. Uh, there's the Mazda 3, and then there's still the Subaru Impreza. So even if you were to make that list today, you would narrow down your scope into significantly shorter. Now, let's say you're a parent and you have two children and they play a sport and they play a musical instrument. And so they need a lot of space. There's a couple different ways you can go. You can go the traditional SUV route, um, or you can go the um, the Toyota Sienna Honda Odyssey route, the you know the uh, the minivan route, or depending on how much space you actually need for their activities, you might be able to go for something like a hatchback where it's going to have a lot more space than a sedan, but it's not going to have quite as much space while still being able to keep you in a more budget level. And I've talked to a lot of people who first thought that they wanted a compact SUV, mm -hmm. like a Honda HRV or something like that. And that ended up with getting a hatchback because the compact SUVs are made because Americans really, really, really like our SUVs. But when you get inside of it, it's actually really small. And like you're, a lot of times your head will touch the ceiling. There's not really room for your arms. And hatchbacks have all the features that you'd want out of that car without having to have the, the you know, the uncomfortable size because we're just trying to pretend it's an SUV essentially. Yeah. Okay. So let's say I let's say I'm you, and I decided that the Subaru Impreza is the car for me. Where do you start looking for that the actual car, the car that you're going to go look and maybe make an offer on? Great question. And where you're going to look is going to depend on how you're purchasing the vehicle. So if you do not have cash to make the purchase, then in most cases you're going to finance the vehicle. In order to finance the vehicle, most of the time you're going to work through a dealership because financing a car through a private purchase, especially when you're buying it from somebody you do not know, is complicated to say the least. And most people who are selling their cars are not interested in joining that yeah. process with you. So uh, if you're looking to finance it, then the first place I would go is to an aggregator like Edmunds.com because you can go on one website, you enter in the information that you want, and it's gonna pull many of the vehicles available to you locally that fit those parameters. Now, you're always going to leave there and you're going to go directly to the website where those things are published. But at least you don't have to go through a hundred different tabs. I'm very familiar with that. A <laughs> hundred different tabs in order to find that one specific vehicle um, that you're looking for. And it'll also give you a good idea of the inventory for that vehicle in your area. You also have to keep in mind, let's say you are buying a Subaru Impreza. If you are buying a used car, 
you do not need to buy it from a Subaru dealership. Mm -hmm. Your Subaru Impreza might be at the Toyota dealership or at the Honda dealership or at the Chevy dealership because it was traded in by somebody who bought a car of that manufacturer or they had purchased it at auction. So that would probably be the first place I'd go. Yeah. And then um, I think this feels it feels so intimidating to me. Right. Because, you know, it, I, I think even looking at my own car, I don't necessarily know that I could tell you the health of my car. Like, I don't know if I could tell you that my heart car is like super healthy or has some problem spots. I, I have a mechanic that I like and they do a pretty good job keeping me up to date of what they think, you know, the mileage on certain problem areas of my car have. Um, but I don't know the health of my car, which makes it feel scary to say, okay, I'm going to spend thousands of dollars on something that I don't know for sure is a good car. What do you what are you looking for when you go and you you know you picked out one or two cars that you're gonna go look at? Um, how do you make sure that that car is you're not gonna waste your money? That's a great question. And there's a couple different ways to go about this. and it takes a layered approach to end up with the best car possible. Uh, and first, I'd start with driving the car. Mm. So you're gonna go and you're gonna get in the car, you're gonna adjust the car to your needs, you know, Feel free to change the position of the seat. In fact, you should. I dated somebody one time that bought a car, didn't change the position of the seat, and the seat was broken. Oh, no. um, they could not change. They could not change the position of the seat uh, after they had purchased it. So they needed to replace the seat. It was kind of dramatic. Now, will that happen to you? Probably not. But it's worth it. Yeah. Make sure you adjust the mirrors, you adjust the seat, you turn on the radio, you do all the things that you would normally do, and go drive the car. You want to drive the car for at least 15 or 20 minutes because you want to get a good feel for how the car works. Now, even if you know nothing about cars, like absolutely nothing, you've probably driven a car at some point. You do probably do drive a car every day if you live in most of this country. Um, so you have a sense of how a car is supposed to feel, right? You're going to go drive on regular roads. You're going to make left and right turns. You're going to drive on the highway. You're going to get a feel for how the car works. Anything you hear, anything you feel, anything that seems out of the ordinary, you sort of flag in your brain to talk to your mechanic at a later point, mm -hmm. right? So that'll be number one. Now, if you're driving and you can't seem to accelerate the car, there's major red flags, then this might be your ending point. This might be the time when you say, okay, you know what? Let me move on. This is not the right car for me. Or you might say, hmm, it's pretty comfortable, fits my needs. It, there's no glaring red flags while I'm driving it now it's time to check over the car. So you can check over the inside of the car and the outside of the car. And I detail it pretty comprehensively in my book. Um, you're looking just for things that are out of the norm, things that are out of the ordinary. You're looking for wear that shouldn't be there. You're looking for anything that's going to cost you money, right? Even if you don't know that the tires need to be replaced at this moment, if you see the tires are nearly bald, you know that you're going to need to spend $1,000 within a short period of time to get those tires replaced. And that might be a deal breaker for you, depending mm -hmm. on how much you're spending. If you're looking at a newer car, especially a Subaru, and you see that the front windshield is cracked, you know that you're going to need a new windshield. And the Subaru windshields with with recalibrating the eyesight and everything is like fourteen dollars or $1,500. So another red flag. So you're going to check over the car and how many red flags and how many problems you're willing to accept is going to depend on your budget. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you have a thousand dollars to spend, you're going to find a car that has a lot more problem than if you have $25,000 to spend. So after you check it over, if you still feel pretty confident about the vehicle, you make notes of everything that you found during your test drive and during the checkover, and you decide that you think this is the car for you. This is the moment you're determined. This is the car you're going to buy you think that it's a great vehicle, you have to do one more thing. And the next thing is you want to take it to a mechanic for a pre-purchase inspection. One of the reasons why I started the how the heck do I buy used car class was because I had seen so many people on the flip side of this. They had purchased the vehicle, sometimes from their family, from their friends, you know, from people they know, and many times just from the internet or from dealerships. And they bring in the car after they bought it with a, I'm hearing this noise, I'm feeling this thing, or something's happening since I purchased the vehicle. And they brought it in and we find thousands of dollars of problems that couldn't 
easily, I mean, just absolutely easily with a cursory check over at your mechanic been found before you had purchased the vehicle. Once you've purchased the car, in almost every case, you're pretty much out of luck if you've purchased a used car. There are some exceptions in some states, but when people say, I bought a lemon, they think that the lemon laws refer to older used cars or newer used cars, but lemon laws in almost all instances are specific to brand new vehicles or vehicles within their manufacturer warranty. So there's no lemon law here that's going to protect you. Take the car to the mechanic, get a pre-purchase inspection. And the reason I say wait until you're sure that you want to do it is because this is going to cost you a little bit of money. Uh, depending on where you're going to go, maybe somewhere between 50 and like $115. And you want to know that this is the car you want as long as everything checked out. Now, the information you find from your mechanic is what you're going to use to help negotiate the purchase mm. of the vehicle. One, if you're buying the car from a dealership and there are glaring problems, they will most likely fix those problems before you actually purchase the vehicle or right after you purchase the vehicle. If you're buying the car from a private party, then you can negotiate a discount on the purchase of the vehicle in order to be able to fix those things yourself. Uh, I had people who have gotten their struts replaced by the dealership. That's like a $1,500 repair on some cars. Yeah, Tires replaced. So maybe you're not negotiating the price significant cleaning down, but you're not turning around and three weeks later discovering that you need to spend another $1,000 on the car you purchased. Yeah, if you're just tuning in, that is Kaya Milstein, who is a automotive automotive editor, sorry, automotive educator and the author of the forthcoming book, Mechanic Shop Femmes Guide to Car Ownership. If you have any questions or stories about buying a car, owning a car, give us a call 608-256-2001 and we'll patch you through. Um, okay, so Kaya, I am so intimidated by the idea of saying I'm going to take this car to a, a, a mechanic. How do you get over those, like, I don't know, like, uh, socialized niceties, you know? The, the way that, you know, I was socialized was to sort of be no problems, right? I'm, I'm going to make everyone have a happy, friendly, easy time. And by saying I want a second opinion, it feels like I'm saying you know, what what you're selling me isn't good, you know, or something. It, it feels it feels internally bad to me. How do you get over that? That's a great question. Uh, here's a couple things that will help you get over that fear. Uh, one, uh, you could tell them that this isn't your idea. Uh, <laughs> that, that's the first one. You could throw the blame on somebody else. Uh, I, I feel like that's very effective to people who specifically have a really hard time saying no in these types of high pressure situations. Um, and this goes for repairs, this goes for cars. You can say, you know what? It was actually somebody else's idea. You can say that you found this in an article. Um, in fact, I'm trying to find where the place is. Um, the, I wrote about this extensively in my book. Um, the Federal Trade Commission actually says if a dealer doesn't allow an independent an independent inspection consider going to another dealer yeah um, so this isn't just information that i'm sharing for you uh, it's also information that's widely available uh, across different sites and you could present that to them um, when it comes to taking it to a dealership they have had many experiences with this this is not their first time that they're going to go through that if they push back that's because they're pushing back and being shady for their own reasons not because you're the first person to ever say hey i want to take my car to the to the mechanic. Now, they might tell you that you need to put down some form of deposit or some other way to guarantee the vehicle. And I think that's relatively yeah. reasonable because remember, at this point in the process, you've already decided that you are going to buy this car as long as the price adds up and the, you know, the mechanic checks out. So that would be through a dealership. Through a private seller, there are other ways that you can incentivize them. Um, you can explain to them that the step you're paying for shows that you're a serious buyer. And that you, if you weren't interested in buying a car, you wouldn't spend this money to get the car checked out. You can offer for them to come with you to the mechanic um, to get the car checked out. Um, you can, you know, sort of along those lines. Uh, but you need to feel confident before you go into the situation that not only is this something that you'd like to do, but this is something that you have to do. Yeah. So if you position it as an 
I cannot buy this car without getting it checked out. I feel like you'll have a much stronger case than you saying, you know, I'm, I, I'd really kind of like to go and get it looked at before I buy it. This sounds like it's a good advice or like getting your car checked out as you take ownership feels like a good um, step, even if it's like a hand-me-down or you're getting a really good deal from a friend or something like that also, yeah? Absolutely. And like you said, um, you mentioned earlier that um, you had mentioned earlier that if um, that you weren't sure what the condition of your own vehicle was and what your car's health is. And when you you should be in a pretty good, uh, you should be pretty confident about what's going on with your car, which of course can change at any moment. But when you take in your car for an oil change to a quality relationship mechanic, they're not just doing an oil change. They are checking over the vehicle, checking the belts, hoses, filters, tires, brakes, you know, a courtesy visual check to give you an idea of what's going on with the vehicle. So if you're not in a position where that's happening, going in and saying, hey, uh, you know, I'm trying to decide what I'm going to do with my car. Should I keep buying the car? Should I, you know, should I continue owning this car? Should I get rid of it? Should I upgrade? Can you check over my car and tell me what it it's like and what condition it's in and what you think I'm going to need. And it's not a perfect science, um, but it's a good place to start. Speaking of, um, mm-hmm. Sholly tells us that a caller who uh, called in but doesn't want to be on air um, suggests that used cars should have their timing belts, um, or sorry, their timing chains and timing belts checked. And um, what are other things that your mechanic would be looking for as you bring in a car that you're considering buying? So with timing belts and timing chains, um, most are not visible and not able to be inspected um, when you are purchasing a used car. Um, Most timing belts are internal and timing chains are definitely. I can tell you that timing chains are designed to last the life of the car. There are certainly cars that may have problems with them, especially cars that do not have their oil changed at the frequency that they should. But generally, this is something that should last the life of the vehicle and not something that I'd be particularly looking for. When it comes to timing belts, if you are buying a vehicle with a timing belt, and you would know that because in the owner's manual, it will tell you when the timing belt needs to be changed. Um, If you're buying it directly from the previous owner, I would ask that owner if they have changed their timing belt, and I would ask for the receipts. Mm. So anytime you're buying a car from a private seller, you want to get as much information from them as possible, not just so that you have it to decide to buy the car, but so that you have it after you buy the car so you can plan what maintenance you're going to do on it and what's going to be necessary. Timing belts on most cars get changed at around the 90 to 120,000 mile mark. Um, and then they won't get changed again until that time um, further on. Now, in some cases, there are mechanics that will make a little note, uh, uh, like they'll like use chalk or whatever to mm-hmm. write when the timing belt's been changed, um, but that's a lot less frequent. So looking at prior records, um, you can look at Carfax. Um, although Carfax will only tell you what's reported to them. So if a shop has been, uh, so most independent repair shops do not report to Carfax, but if the car was at the dealer where the service was done, then that would be the case. Um, If you are just tuning in, you're listening to A Public Affair. I am your sub-host, Jade Isiri Ramos. And my guest today is Kaya Milstein, who is an automotive educator. Give us a call, 608-256-2001. All right, Kai, we've been really talking about buying a car. And, and I think now that we're at the mechanic, um, <laughs> what are the, you know, let's let's say we buy the car. It turned out perfect. You got a good, clean bill of health. The, the things that the mechanic said um, we need to worry about in the next 10,000 miles, we feel we feel confident, you know, we feel OK with that. Um, what are things that we can be doing without having to pay a mechanic um i guess like what are what are the things that you say like this is like worth you spending the x amount of time to do yourself and learning how to do yourself um yeah that's a great question so uh in my book mechanic shop Web's guide to car ownership i have a whole chapter on maintenance you should do yourself because it's really important to understand that when you take your car to a mechanic they're only doing certain things and there are things that you need to do more frequently than you visit the mechanic especially with cars now taking synthetic oil that's lasting six months or longer 
and you're just not going to the visit the mechanic as often as you used to. So there are absolutely things that need to be done. And sometimes people are like, Kaya, <laughs> I take my car to the mechanic. I get everything the mechanic tells me. I do not want to do anything between. And I completely understand. But there are some very good reasons to take care of your car in between. So some of the things you're going to be doing is doing baseline checks, right? Checking your oil level, checking your other fluids at least once a month, twice a month if you have an older vehicle. And you're you're doing this not just to find something wrong because 97% of the time, and that's just a random number I made up, uh, you, you're not going to find anything wrong with it. But you won't know if something's wrong unless you knew what it looked like before. So mm -hmm. one, you're checking over your fluids underneath your hood every single month because you're getting a baseline. This is what it's supposed to look like. And then when something is wrong, it flags immediately for you. Um, so that's very important. Also maintaining your tires, checking your tire pressure and checking your tread depth on your tires is very important. Tires lead to vehicle fatalities. Tires are the only thing between the car and the ground. And if you are not properly maintaining your tires, not only do you make your car less safe, you make others on the road less safe, you will also use more gas. Um, and so you'll pay more at the pump and your tires will wear faster. Tires are expensive, especially on some of these larger SUVs, very expensive tires. So you're going to want to check your tire pressure at least once a month if your tire pressure sensors are working. Um, if they are not, then I would check your tire pressure at least twice a month. This doesn't take much time. Between the oil and the tire pressure, you'll spend five to 10 minutes once or twice a month checking mm -hmm. over your car. And the easiest way to remember is to literally just set a reminder in your calendar. You know, on this day above, this is what you're going to do. And if you're somebody who tends to swipe away the reminders, maybe put it for a couple days uh, <laughs> so you can remember. Most things that you're going to check on your own vehicle on a regular basis will be done while the car is cold, which means you haven't driven it for at least four hours. These are great to do first thing in the morning if you're somebody who sleeps at night and works during the day mm -hmm. um, or vice versa. Um, for tire pressure, you want um, to have a tire pressure gauge because you do not want to drive on the tires to go to the gas station to check the tire pressure as the tires will heat up, the air will expand, and the tire pressure will no longer be accurate. Also, Consumer Reports came out with a study recently that showed the tire pressure gauges in the gas stations are notoriously inaccurate. Okay, I, uh, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, a good digital tire pressure gauge that's very easy to use costs around 10 bucks. Yeah. And you pop it in your glove box and you have it there whenever you need it. Those those old school gauges where you know it pops out of the top, a lot of people find them really frustrating and incredibly difficult to use. So if that's you, get a gauge you mm -hmm. like, get a gauge you're comfortable with. So again, you're going to check it first thing in the morning or when you haven't driven on it for four hours, you're going to use a tire pressure gauge and check it at home. Um, now, how much air should be in the tires is frequently misunderstood. A lot of people look on the side of the tire and they'll say, Kaya, the side of my tire says it should be at 45 PSI. And I go, whoa, 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 wait, hold on. <laughs> the, the side of your tire tells you the maximum pressure that could go in the tire. The optimal pressure is not determined by the tire. It is determined by the vehicle manufacturer because it's based on weight and other factors, right? So open your driver's side door. In the driver's side door, there's going to be a sticker. And on that sticker, it will tell you what your tire size is, front and back. It will tell you how much air goes into your tires, front, back, and spare, because sometimes those are different. Mm -hmm. And you want to check your tire pressure to ensure that it is according to that label, or else you are very likely to overinflate your tires. Now, this label is correct, even if you've changed the tires. Mm -hmm. So if your car came with Uteroil tires and now you have Goodyear's on it, that doesn't matter. The type of tire matters less than the specific vehicle. Yeah, that's great. Um, I, you really, you you brought something up for me, which is the 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 spare tire. That's something that I um, remember in college. I had a, a spare tire in my car, and um, and then when my tires went flat, and I was like, okay, I'll put the spare on, and the donut was 
just as dead as the tire I took off. So that's an, that's another thing that sh- we should be paying attention to too is your your spares. Absolutely. And I have an entire chapter on tires in this book because I feel very passionately about them. Uh, Tires are my first love in the automotive industry. I got certified as a Michelin certified tire expert many, many years ago. I had a lot of education around tires and I talk about the spare tire. And because that's exactly right, people are like, oh, their tire's flat. They go get their spare, their spare's flat too. Uh, (laughs) Or they don't know where their spare is or their car doesn't have a spare, which is something that's you know, definitely a concern. So I'm not going to tell you to check your spare tire every single month because the likelihood of folks actually doing that is very slim. But if you can get your spare tire checked once every six months, you're going to be in a much better place than a lot of people. And if your spare tire is underneath your car, um, then ask your mechanic to check it and make sure that the mechanism to bring the tire down works at least once a year. Great. Um, So your spare tires, if you have a spare, hopefully you have a spare tire in your car, but what else are the things that people should be carrying around in their car day to day? Other things that people should be carrying um, in the car every day, it's really going to depend on your specific situation. Um, however, uh, one thing I would carry is a tire pressure gauge so you mm-hmm. can check your tire pressure. Um, I would carry a quart of oil, especially if you have an older vehicle. Um, depending on the weather, there are other things that you also might want to carry. So for example, if, um, you are in Wisconsin in the winter, uh, and depending on what area you might want to carry, uh, like cat litter or something along those lines. Let's see what else. And I do have a whole section on the emergency (laughs) kit. Um, a lot of people carry jumper cables in their car. Mm. I would, um, consider carrying a jump starter instead of jumper cables. The reason that um, I would carry jump starter instead of jumper cables is because jumper cables require a second vehicle and they require talking to a random stranger uh, on the internet. Um, So, uh, you know, a random stranger in a random parking lot and so forth. Um, A jump starter, you charge it a few times a year and you can jump start your car yourself in like five minutes. Yeah. Um, and they're, they used to be very bulky. So carrying them around was pretty complicated. Now they're a little larger than the size of a cell phone. They fit right in your glove box. It's beautiful. Uh, and people always say, well, Kaya, you know, they're going to decharge when it's very cold. I used the jump starter when it was the negative 25 degree wind chill we had recently, and it still had 86% charge on okay. it. And it's been held in my car. So of course it depends on the quality um, that you're in, um, and it's going to depend on other factors as well. Um, okay, uh, we said engine oil, tire pressure gauge. If you could carry an inflator, it will probably work to your benefit so you do not have to go to the gas station. They're also not very expensive. $20, $30 will get you a good quality inflator, and you don't have to go anywhere. If you do go to the gas station to t- fill up your tires, then I would suggest the next morning you check your tire pressure again uh reflector lights um or like you know those little squares that people put out when they're in an emergency situation i like the ones that are leds um because i think they're more effective uh, (laughs) doing the job (laughs) than regular flares uh a small first aid kit washer fluid a seatbelt extender that is specific to your vehicle are all good things to carry Great. Um, hey, we had a caller who is driving, so isn't going to stay on the line. Um, but Katie says she's enjoying this program. Thanks for listening, Katie. And drives a, a 2014 Cyan with a Toyota engine. She has three questions on a theme. Can she change her interior air filter by herself? Or is it something that she needs to go to a mechanic for? Is she supposed to be changing her interior air, air filter? And if so, where is it located? She hears maybe it's behind the glove box. Yes. So in most vehicles, I don't know for that one specific, but 97%, and this is again, it's your your favorite number. (laughs) (laughs) It's my favorite number. It is my way of saying most. The vast majority of vehicles, the cabin filter is located behind the glove box on the passenger side. There are some exceptions. Sometimes the cabin filter will be actually outside the vehicle in the front, in front of the windshield, between the windshield and the hood. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and that's the most common locations. So yes, in most cars, you can change the cabin filter yourself. It is a tiny bit more complicated than changing the engine air filter, which I strongly recommend you attempt to do. What my recommendation is, is that you Google the year, make, and model of your vehicle with the word of whatever you're looking to replace. So cabin air filter replacement and look up a vehicle specific tutorial before you start. Yes, this is very easy on most cars, will probably take you around 10 minutes, but you wanna make sure you know what you're getting into before you actually go and do it. So you know that you don't need any tools, most of the time you won't need any tools, um, and that you have a replacement cabin filter ready for when you change it. Keep a very close eye on how the cabin filter comes out because the new one will have to go in, in the same direction and that's not always obvious on the cabin filter. Yeah, um, I wonder. I this brought up an idea, and I've I've heard it before. Is like take pictures or take a video of of you doing something, so you have something to reference. Um, and I wonder if, as someone who does a lot of social media posting, if that's something sometimes that you do that you're like, oh, good thing I was, I had a, a tripod a tripod set up so that I remember where this goes or how that goes. Um. Usually I have a good idea before I start <laughs> of how it goes in and how it goes out, uh, but it's certainly worth looking back. Uh, you know, a little while ago, I was changing the air filter on my car and I was going to show how to change it on my foster sister's car. And I didn't look too closely at it. It had some clips that I was like, oh, okay, whatever. It's going to be straightforward. Um, and it turns out that this car had clips and one bolt, which is not extremely common. So I was like, oh, and so I ended up like, fussing with it and I was like damn I need a you're good that's I mean, fine that's a fine word I need, okay. <laughs> I need I need this this one wrench in order to get this bolt out and uh, you know I didn't have it at the time so I just moved um I just moved on yeah so so definitely worth looking up just so you have an idea of what you're getting into um Kaya we're running out of time here we only got about uh seven minutes if anyone really wants a last minute call 608-256-2001 um the, I, I was wondering if there's anything um, in your work that you've heard are like car myths, people that like things that people are like, my dad told me this and I, you know, I really stand by it. Um, mm -hmm. Things like my stepdad is a real stickler for sitting in the driveway for 45 seconds after he starts mm -hmm. his car, which I don't think he actually needs to be doing. So, yes, that would <laughs> definitely be a common one is when people are like, uh, my dad told me I have to warm up my car. Uh, and one that recently caused my video to get quite a bit of uh, agitated um, <laughs> people of a specific background. Um, <laughs> uh, and you, the cars that are made today, unless you have a carbureted vehicle or a diesel vehicle uh, or something along those lines, uh, do not need to be warmed up. Well, turn on the car, put your seatbelt on, adjust the radio station. By the time you're done with that, the car is warmed up. Uh, the checking the tire pressure that we talked about earlier, people saying, oh, you need to read the side of the tire. That is the most correct. Mm. Uh, there was a reason I gave all those disclaimers because people will find a way to carry themselves back to the side of the tire. Um, that's another frequent um myth. I think another thing that people don't talk about is um, the cost to repair things. People a lot of times say, oh, that was a scam or, you know, uh, the mechanic overcharged me. It took them just one hour to do and they charged me for two hours or something like that. Repair labor is based on specific guides. There's Mitchell, there's all data, and this, and there's a labor guide that tells you this repair takes two hours. This repair takes one hour. And a good mechanic will be able to do that work faster than the labor guide says. Yeah. That is how they make money. Um, so they will charge you hourly labor based on what the labor guide says. That is fair. That is normal. That is industry standard. And that is the case in many industries, not just the automotive space. Uh, in fact, in collision, the, uh, the quality collision technician usually does twice the labor, um, basically. So if they book 40 hours, um, they do it in 20. If they yeah, book 80 wow. hours, they do it in 40. Um, so just because a mechanic is charging you something that you think is too much for the repair because you can do it better, doesn't mean they are overcharging it. But that also means that you could do it yourself if you want to. 
Yeah. Those things don't cancel each other out. Right, right. Um, well, Kaya, we are running out of time. I just wanted to make this note that um, Anne had called and said she was really enjoying the the show and wanted to know um, how to how to find you. So can you point people to your website and then tell us about um, this book? When is it coming out? Um, where can people find it? Absolutely. Mechanic Shop Femme's Guide to Car Ownership is available for pre-order right now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Bookshop, your local indie bookseller. Um, just type in my name, Kaya Milstein, or the book name, Mechanic Shop Femme's Guide to Car Ownership. You should be able to pre-order wherever you'd like. Um, you can find me on social media at Mechanic Shop Femme on most platforms, including TikTok and Instagram, um, Facebook, and so forth, where I share written content and video content and all kinds of other things. Uh, I'm very excited to have everybody join me, Covid Lura. There's tons of free stuff. Um, the book is less than $20. It has 10 years of automotive knowledge in it, far exceeding what we've talked about today. You know, there's, yeah. there's we'll a to, lot there. We'll have to have you on when, when the book's out in the world and uh, get get in there again. Um, and I, I heard you say on a, like a, something else you did for the the show or for your book is that it fits perfectly in your glove compartment so there it you go does. it's a paperback <laughs> book intentionally it's supposed to be easy for you to read from start to finish and then reference back the sections that you need as you come to different decision points well kaya milchain has been sorry mil can you say your last name? say your name for me milchain <laughs> thank you kaya milchain has been my guest for the hour um she is an automotive educator and the person behind Me- mechanic shop femme uh which is giving education to women queer people anyone who is owns a car and um wants a little bit of help caring for that car and and owning the car and buying a car and selling a car anything you want to do with a car uh kaya is is here to help you learn about it um up next we have letters and politics my regular host ali Moldra, will be back next week and again kaya thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me i appreciate it this is wort 89.9 fm madison Dark vision fly by helicopters in the night Attempt triangulation of our station in the fight Straight from the base, deep down, no precision High crime treason, we broadcast in sedition Like the Wall Street morning, afternoon edition Commandeering airwaves from unknown positions